Devani's, your local pizza and hot hoagie joint in the Twin Cities and family owned since 1975. With 20 convenient locations, they proudly employ 900 Minnesotans. Delivery, takeout, or dine-in, they've got you covered. Order online at Devani's.com. It's the KQ Morning Show. 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. It is Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. I jumped out of bed this morning in a great mood because the weekend is upon us, which means for the next two days, I'll still wake up at 4.30, but for no reason. (laughs) I am officially conditioned. My life is now... Uh, in morning radio, I don't know what I was waiting for all these years, but I pop awake. I haven't, my, I haven't heard my alarm in weeks. I always know when that bad boy's about to uh, blast off. I wake up, I circumvent, I get up, and boom! Uh, I've got a pretty good routine established for my mornings. But that brings me to another question, and I just want to start today's show by asking Zep, Tony, Candace, what's the last thing you do? Before you go to sleep, I mean, do you have a routine? Is there a protocol, or are you just falling around and eventually you shut your eyes and go out? Zep, do you have something you have to do right before you go out? Steve, I'm so glad you asked this question this morning. First, I say a <laughs> prayer for world peace. Okay, and beautiful. Then I meditate about. Now, you know, for me, it's an occupational hazard. I doom scroll before I, uh, not right before I go to bed, but I go through all the news. You sure, know? sure. And that can that can wear on you a little bit. Uh, so the last thing I do before I go to bed is I just pull out some frivolous, weird stories mm-hmm. or YouTube videos about, oh, I don't know, real nerd stuff, like The Mandalorian, the Easter eggs that were in the opening scene of The Mandalorian, just something frivolous oh. and stupid and try to drift off with something super nerdy. That's my routine. I, I can't tell if Candace is turned on or disgusted. <laughs> it's disgusted. the same sound yeah. uh, little, both it's times. It's a weak. From yeah. from doom scrolling well, I, to joy scrolling, well, but Cand- she doesn't care about either. Candace, what's the last thing? What's the checklist? What do you do right before you shut your eyes? Well, lately I've been watching one episode of Seinfeld. Okay, jeez, I, I thought you were going to come back with something strong there, <laughs> and you basically just slid right in beside me. And then um, always, yeah, cuddle sesh with Gigi. Cuddle sesh. We cuddle. And then she gets annoyed and then goes to the end of the bed. Sure. Okay. Tony, anything anything specific that's a, that's got it's got to happen or your sleep is is not the same? <laughs> well, I make fresh sourdough bread before. <laughs> no, I used to have more of a, a, a routine. I, I would. Yeah, well, it's, it's so warm and cuddly. <laughs> I, I would watch TV before I, I went to sleep before. But now with my my young kids, it just it's kind of whatever happens, happens. Watching TV has been uh, the most common last thing before the lights go out in America since the 70s, according to every study that's ever been done. There is there is a group that's called the Bureau of Labor Statistics American Time Use Survey that's put out every year. The Bureau of Labor Statistics looks into this. Uh, there's also the American Heritage Time Use Study. People literally want to know what we're doing every minute of every day. And the most compelling or interesting one generally is what happens right before bed. So since the 1970s, television took over. That was a time when the average American actually had a TV in the bedroom for the first time. You know, there was the TV in the den, and then you get up, and then you lock it down the house, and then you close off all the lights, but your TV's turned off minutes before you get to the bedroom. Now, of course, you get in bed, you watch something. This has been a Gorman battle for years. My wife loves to have the TV on right before sleep. I have been a strong proponent in no TV in the bedroom. Like, no, the bedroom is for not, it's for for a lot of things, not watching TV. Mm. 
because my brain, I'll just get fired. I can be completely ready to pass out and you put on like 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 not doom scrolling through twitter like zepp said which i also am guilty of at times but if you just put on the news if you put on anything a monty python film a kids in the hall skit you know whatever i can't help but just go hang on a minute i gotta see just five more minutes of this i gotta hear the end of this story tv just wrecks my sleep since moving to minnesota so far, so good. No TV in the bedroom at the mm. Gorman Enclave. And, That's uh, unusual for a male. Usually it's female who says no TV in the bedroom. No, it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, the last thing I do, uh, I, I don't cuddle with Gigi, but there's a big <laughs> fellow named, Ch there's a big dude named Chauncey who li literally the last thing that happens at our home is, is, is him negotiating how much space on the bed he's going to get. And, uh, and more often than not, I'm falling asleep as he's still trying to figure that out with, with Rosemary. Uh, because since there's not a TV in the room, I, I do. When I get in bed, man, I'm, I'm less than two minutes. I'm gone. I mean, from the minute I lay down. That's a great thing. The number two thing Americans do, last thing they do before bed is grooming, washing your face, brushing your teeth. I would love to say that I do that, but that's just never something. If I go wash my face and brush my teeth, I'm I'm awake again. Yeah. Like, I could do that an hour out. Like, if I'm going to lay down at 9, around 8, I'll be like, it's probably a good time to brush my teeth. But right before bed, forget it, man. Just might as well have a cup of coffee. <laughs> that's just not working for me. It's a morning routine. It, it, it's absolutely a morning routine, and it's an I can see an evening, but not not an end of night. I have friends who, no matter how drunk they are, they're getting out the toothbrush, yeah. they're washing the face, and I mean, I've seen people that literally can't stand up, but they can get it. They can get that toothpaste onto the toothbrush <laughs> and make it happen, and it's a great habit to have. But I, I don't have that. So uh, getting to bed with a bit of a routine. Uh, you know that that's pretty normal. What about waking up in the morning? I if I do hear my alarm clock, I, 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 I the word alacrity always comes to mind for whatever reason. <laughs> and I think because when I first heard that word, I just liked it, alacrity. But okay. when I hear my alarm, I never hit the snooze button at no time in my life. I, I hate snooze buttons. They they ruin your day. I'm I'm sitting up and standing before I'm even awake because if I don't I'm in trouble. It's just like I got to come out, I got to hit the ground, literally running, uh, and then and then it's just a then it's just a free for all to to get to the door and get the hell out of the house. <laughs> um, but you know that's 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 me. I my wife again snooze button queen. She'll hit that thing 15 times. Yeah, I like I, it too. Really. Mm -hmm. Oh. I used to during my drinking days. It was just me and the snooze and a, you know, and a toe-to-toe, fist-to-fist battle every morning. Sure, uh, punching each other. The alarm clock, the snooze, going back and forth. But now, yeah, now I'm. Now that I'm an old man, um, I look at the clock before I go to bed and think, is 6.30 too early? I really should try and stay up another hour. I don't want to wake up too early. But, <laughs> right. yeah, now I wake up before the alarm goes off, uh, even on the weekends. But, yeah, yeah, no, I um. Yeah, that snooze thing that just that wears on you after time. You know what I can't do anymore. Speaking of being an old man, I I can't eat right before bed, and I used to be a, a great last minute eater before sleep. Uh, half of you know, like this is going back to high school and college. Half a Domino's pizza, right as I, you know, like <laughs> literally still working a piece of crust as I'm starting to fall asleep, used <laughs> to be a great recipe for me, and now it's. I mean, I need at least two hours clearance from that last bite of food or, or you know, or I'm just crushing Pepsi all night. It's it's just brutal for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I was a get up at, uh, I mean, on the clock at 2 a.m. every morning 
wander downstairs in the dark, never turn on a light, and eat in the dark. Cereal by the handful, Cheez-Its, whatever I had, and then wander right back to bed. But thankfully, I shook that habit because, yeah, I'd start waking up with gut aches. Wait, Uh, wait, sleepwalking or you'd you'd literally be awake and just be hungry in the middle of your sleep? About half awake, semi awake. Wow. You know, I, I knew what was happening, but I refused to let myself fully wake up, turn on lights, mm-hmm. get too engaged, just sit there chewing. You know, I remember one time a buddy of mine had a key to my place because he broke up with his girlfriend every other day. And I was like, dude, just take a key and let yourself in whenever. At two o'clock in the morning, I'm standing in the kitchen naked, eating Cheez Its, and I hear a, the key going in my, and I'm like, I can't, what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a daze, and the door opens up, the light shines on me. He's like, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm like, yeah, Jesus Christ. What are you doing here? He's like, well, Dawn broke up with me. I'm like, and I'm having a few Cheez-Its in the buff, if you don't mind. Uh, but yeah, I don't do that anymore. Do you have a checklist before leaving the house? Um, I, do you? Do, is there a specific? Uh, and I and I ask this as someone who who I, I was I had a lot of uh, OCD uh, as a younger man, obsessive compulsive. I mean, there there were I you know if I was on a staircase, I would count the number of steps because I had to hit that top landing with my left foot. Wow. I was always aware of how many syllables I was saying in real time. I would end every sentence on a on, on the count of four. I would add words. That's I mean, I was weird. pretty That's intensely. Intense. Wow. Wow. I, I, it, this is stuff that was going on that I just didn't even understand was not normal. I figured everybody's brain was a spider's web like mine. Um, and then it, it, nothing, two nervous breakdowns didn't fix completely. It was great. A little therapy, a little bit of a complete meltdown of self. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I can get on stairs and I don't care which foot lands at the top. This is great. Um, but I used to, when I would leave the house, I didn't, I didn't have the, I, I didn't have a ton of these. But, you know, but like the lights, I would be in the car, in the driveway, backing out, and I'd go, I know that bathroom light is still on. And I, not a lot of false alarms. I generally was right. I'd run back in, and there's one light in the bathroom, and I'd left on. Or, like, I didn't have a checklist, but I was just, I, I did, but I wasn't aware of it because I would only recognize as I was leaving, it was like a little pebble in my shoe, and I'd have to figure out what did I not do that I should have wow. done. I have a friend whose uh, ex-wife used to, used to have that, so intensely that they had to cancel a trip. They had to leave. They had gone to the airport to get on the plane. They had to come back home because she had to adjust the fringe on the rug. Oh, the oh, 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 oh. Okay, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was in single A baseball oh, as far as that. I wasn't playing yeah. center field for the Yankees like your friend's <laughs> wife. <laughs> that would teach you patience as a partner, wouldn't oh, it? Man, it would teach you something. Um, make <laughs> either teach you patience or make better choices for your life. Um, right. I, uh, I, I, there was a. Uh, oh, oh that, God, that one just threw me completely yeah. off. That's that's really. Intense. Intense. That's uh-huh. yeah. That's not like I'm kind of OCD. That's that's real deal yeah. business right there. You know, Chris Jackson, who a great basketball player at LSU, got to the NBA, changed his name to uh, Abdul Rauf, Mamad Abdul Rauf. Great, incredible basketball player with incredible OCD and Tourette's. And if you remember, he would when he would be at the free throw line, he would sometimes it would take a while to get that free throw off because he had to touch the ball in a certain way. It had to feel a certain oh, yeah. way. He would be in the middle of games and he would headbutt, very gently headbutt other opponents like shoulders during dead balls. He had to touch things with his forehead. Hmm. He was lighting up the NBA while carrying around all of those tricks in the bag, things he needed to get done. He couldn't leave the court after practice until he'd hit a certain number of shots and it had to go through the net in just the right way. Wow. Yeah. 
consume your life, wouldn't it? It's I mean, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. There's a checklist, and then there's then there's that. Like I say, we all everybody kind of has different levels. I think of, huh? And then at some point, you you realize like this isn't quirky. This is troubling. This is this is handcuffs. But uh, like I said, for me, just a couple of brutal. Uh, moments in time when I finally just went, I don't know anything, and I really need to get some things off my chest. Um, uh, But, you know, hey, here we are. Live and learn. Keep moving forward. That's right. Right. Up and Adam. Well, nothing gets me going in the morning more than the cars. And I'm I'm being sincere about that. Something about cars music that just makes me want to get up and get after it. We have some cars coming. We have Mike Evans, Hollywood Report. It is Movie Review Friday here at 630. Hang tight. It's the KQ Morning Show. 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. That was Tom Sawyer by Rush, and I really like rock music. It is 6.30 <laughs> in the morning, and I am listening to that over the headphones just thinking, yes! And we know we were speaking at the earlier part of the show about the things you do right before bed. I didn't mention the fact that I cannot have music on. Unless it's oh. literally like sedate. There is an artist, an Irish singer named Lisa Hannigan, and I put her on every plane I've been on for over a decade. I put her music on headphones and I'm asleep immediately. And I love her music. It's not because it bores me. If I, if you put on a, a song by Rush when I was laying in bed, I, <laughs> I, it's over. I, I am immediately thinking about the audacious nature of Neil Peart's drumming and his yeah. the parts he's writing and the audacity that he has to just not only write those parts but pull them off so exquisitely I will I, that's what I'm thinking right now it's 6:30 in the morning and I'm like oh man <laughs> I guess that's a long-winded way of saying god bless you Neil Peart godspeed yeah. <laughs> brother man yeah, getting some work done He'll leave those spaces in there. We were talking on Wednesday, of course, the 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon, and, and Mason would leave those spaces in there. For years, I fell asleep to animals. It was just one of those. Oh, yeah. I put it on, and it was like <laughs> waves hitting the beach. A babbling brook Yeah, uh, put me to sleep, but not pure. No, that's uh, uh, no. that's get yeah. up and take on the day drumming there. Yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah, Pink Floyd, uh, Mason's got a an amazing ability to do nothing at, the, at all the right yeah. moments. You know, like right? you're waiting for the big da-da and he would just go, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, it's just, it's, oh, absolutely. Uh, all this to say, let, let's go right back to the initial statement. I really like rock music, but you know what also, uh, you know what I really love also is, is uh, movies. We have a, uh, we have Mike Evans, Hollywood Report. He's not with us live, but my man took the time to throw us some movie reviews. So if you will, please, sir. Hey everybody, it's me, Mike Evans. Welcome to Friday. It's Aloha Friday from St. Louis, Missouri, back in studio on Monday. It is Movie Review Friday, and we start with Creed 3. And this is the best of the franchise. Wow. It stars and is directed by Michael B. Jordan. This movie is a knockout in every way. Starts off with Creed, now three years retired, when he sees some dude leaning up against his car asking for an autograph. But what this guy really wants, and by the way, played brilliantly by Jonathan Majors, is a chance to rebuild his life after spending 18 years in prison. A prison sentence for a crime that Creed was also involved with, Oh boy! but skated. This guy took the fall. While in prison, he's been working out. He wants to be the greatest boxer in the world and rebuild his life and ask Creed to help 
pay him back for taking the fall by helping him out. He wants to train, box, and eventually fight Creed himself. This movie is well-written, well-acted, it's compelling, and you don't need to be a boxing fan to really like it. Rated PG-13, two hours long. It's Creed 3, and it is four stars. All right, next movie is Operation Fortune, starring Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Josh Hartnett, and Hugh Grant. When a movie is officially described as an action, comedy, mystery, and thriller, it's usually none of the above, and it's true here. A new weapon that could destroy the world must be intercepted with the help of a corny billionaire, a goofy movie star, and a bunch of inept operatives that come across as nothing more than a bad, hodgepodge, confusing mess. Rated R, two hours long. Operation Fortune, one star. But remember, remember, there's some really great movies playing out there besides Creed Three. I especially recommend Jesus Revolution, Cocaine Bear, Ant-Man. So there are some good movies out there. Some TV news. Two-time Oscar winner Robert De Niro has signed to do his first leading role in a TV series. A six-part Netflix thriller called Zero Day. Described only as a serious drama that De Niro searches for the truth in a world in crisis. That's all we know so far. When I find out more, I'll let you know. Stay tuned. And from the new to news of an old sequel that's coming this summer, B.B. Newworth, who played Frazier's wife in the original series, Frazier, will reprise her character as Lilith. And Frazier has moved from Seattle back to Boston to see some of his friends. Coming to Paramount Plus this summer, the Frazier sequel. And I'm going back to the studio on Monday. Have a great weekend, Mike Evans. See ya. Right, Evan. Right on, Mike <laughs> Evans. I'll just say right, Evans. Right, right Evans, Mike on. This um, is where you jump in, Steve, and sing Aloha Friday for us. Uh, that's not going to happen. Not today. Not any Friday. Ever. Um, if if I ever fall down a flight of stairs, I'll, uh, then I'll, I'll start into that song, because that's what I think is happening every time he starts. Maybe, maybe I, bring I, your kid in and play Wipeout for us one of these Friday mornings. I could do that. We can, right. hey, we, we're, we are. There will be a drum kit set up in the studio before, before you know it. Make no yeah. mistake about that. I do have some sports and music history to share with everyone. Big day, March the 3rd, 1875. As big as it gets in the state of Minnesota because on this day again in 1875 at the Victoria Skating Rink in Montreal the first recorded indoor hockey game took place hockey was something people did outdoors on ice or in the fields there were no rules really there was very little regulation this game Featured two teams, two goaltenders, a referee, a puck, a time limit, all of which was new, like uh, to have its standard. And most importantly, in an an advertisement for the game ahead of time, it was referred to as hockey. All those things happened for the first time indoors on this day in 1875. 
That's a long time ago, man. That's a <laughs> really long time ago. Can you imagine the what that game looked like? In per, I mean, if there was ever a time to have a a rolling uh, movie camera a few yeah. few decades before it existed, it would be awesome to watch the first ever actual hockey game. On this day in 1972, a guy named Gary Glitter put out his self-titled album. It was called, of course, Glitter. And there was one song on there. It was called Rock and Roll, parts one and two. March 3rd, 1995. My former rock and roll combo, the Black Crows, we started our third tour for our third album, Amorica. It had come out in November of 94. January, February, we toured in Europe. The U.S. tour for our third album started on this day in St. Paul, Minnesota. Really? The Amorica Airbus Tour. A little auditorium called the Roy Wilkins Auditorium. Sure. Is where that took place. I had to Google that. I was like, wait, we were in St. Paul, but I have no idea what that place was called. (laughs) Opening for us from New Orleans was the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Took them out for the whole spring tour. And uh, first night, I remember standing on the side of the stage and thinking, we have just gone to music school. Holy crap. <laughs> what a cool match. They yeah. were they were incredible, and we had a blast with them, which is really important because by that point, we had all decided we hated each other, and <laughs> picking the opening band and making sure everybody liked them and could get along with them, man, nothing was more important than putting good people around us because we couldn't stand the sight of each other by that is, point. Is that when it happens usually, maybe that third album, especially when that first album is a big hit. We were talking about Dark Side of the Moon being what the seventh or eighth album for eighth, Pink Floyd. The eighth album, yeah. But you know, I was uh, you know, watching clips and documentaries, and then start got into Wish You Were Here, the following album, and the guys were really starting to fracture then. Mm-hmm. But but I bet a lot of bands go after after that big first album. It starts. Oh, to it's kind of brutal. Break down. It's it's yeah. it's it truly sets up like talk about some unrealistic and then unrealized expectations, man. Uh, we that, the the last thing I would wish on anybody is for your first album to actually succeed wildly i mean unless you are built for that world if you're if you're justin bieber sure but if you're a rock band and if you're you know we wanted to sell fifty thousand records when we made our debut record our goal was fifty thousand records because we thought if we sell that many they'll have to let us make a second one you know my 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 favorite uh band's arc was it was always like i looked at rem and u2 like every record sells a little bit more than the one before it like that's what you want the slow build uh, the Black Crows went in the exact opposite order. Every record we ever released sold less than the previous one. Oops. Well, Oops. Well, we're grateful you might not have ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You know, <laughs> if the Ark had gone the other way, I'm just saying, the glass is half no, full. Here, no, no. If the Ark had gone, if it had gone the other way, the thing would have exploded uh, at some point once and for all, and I, I would have actually jumped into radio much sooner in life. <laughs> so, uh, hey, you know, live and learn. As I always say, if you're not living, if you're not learning, you're not living. And and, uh, and and I've learned today that on this day, all those years ago, I was at something called the Roy Wilkins Auditorium. So there you yeah. have it. All the people. We could do an entire segment on the bands that have come through Roy Wilkins out of, um, over the years on their way to superstardom. Uh, that's fantastic. Wish I had been at that show. Well, uh, when you talk about uh, weird and wacky, you need look no further than state laws. We wade into this every couple of years. There are a bunch of state laws. I haven't heard of most of these. Uh, we get to laugh at our neighbors and be a little embarrassed about ourselves. We're getting into some weird laws here. Hang tight. 92 KQRS. Davani's, your local pizza and hot hoagie joint in the Twin Cities, has been family owned since 1975. 
Drive. With 20 convenient locations, they proudly employ 900 Minnesotans. Whether it's team gatherings, family meals, work lunches, or just craving familiar comfort food, Devani's is your trusted go-to. If you're looking for delivery, takeout, or somewhere to dine in, they've got you covered. Do you have a large group to feed? They're the large order experts you can count on. Order online at Devani's.com. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. It's the KQ Morning Show, 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, born in the USA. Couple of nights from now over in uh, St. Paul, Bruce Springsteen will be performing in 92 KQRS is hosting a Bruce Springsteen pre-party from 5 to 7 at 7th Street Truck Park on West 7th in St. Paul. Stop by, grab some KQ swag, win prizes and gear for the show just down the street from the XL Energy Center this Sunday night. The boss, uh, kind of famously a son of the great state of New Jersey. Yeah. My man uh, has, has certainly spun many a yarn about the Garden State. I I was just going in my, you know, I'm not like a card-carrying boss fanatic, but I'm very familiar with the man's catalog. And I'm scrolling through the mental Rolodex. I don't remember if Springsteen ever wrote a song about a friend of his who was a car salesman who got arrested for selling a car on Sunday. <laughs> I have to I have to double check that. But it sounds like something Springsteen would write a song about, like he didn't know the law, and then Johnny Law came down on yeah. him. I mean, you could see it. Uh, a woeful tale. Fun fact, uh, you can't sell a car on Sunday in New Jersey. That's a true story. The New Jersey Code of Criminal Justice prohibits people in places of business from buying, selling, or exchanging motor vehicles on Sunday. Of all the concerns. There are. In New Jersey, where crime is concerned, this law is still on the books. Can you still steal a car in New Jersey on Sunday? Oh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, brother. (laughs) Not a problem. Thank goodness you're right. The the minutia they get into with some of these... uh, I guess frivolous law, especially at the state legislature level. Yeah, we can I just we love can it. we can take bodies out there to sea courses twenty four hours a day <laughs> and put them in the swamps. But uh, selling a car, hold on, I'm not even going to get into that conversation. You know, Minnesota is one of the states that prohibits Sunday automobile yeah. sales. Is that as true? Well. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, don't you're not buying your wheels. Well, here I on was going to get a new car and go down and see the boss. Now I'm going to do neither. How about that? <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, now, welcome you in Saturday or Monday. I know, well, we just started getting, we're just recently, and I mean in the last five years or so, able to buy booze on Sundays. Luckily, Wisconsin's nearby for fireworks and easy access to booze. Um, but yeah, that's great. Wisconsin, we appreciate that that liberal attitude towards uh, things that can explode uh, that, that, and, and the ability to get greased in order to explode more things with booze on Sunday. But if you are uh, making cheese in Wisconsin, you must have cheeses of a, quote, fairly pleasing flavor. That is part of a code in the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection 
Certain cheeses have to be fairly pleasing in flavor. Well, well, I, seriously, who comes up with these these this this wording? They That's, take the cheese very seriously over there, but uh, you know, it's got to pair with just the right. Is it a Miller High Life pairing? Is it a Miller Light pairing? Is it? A, mm, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, their cheese. I had a friend. Uh, she worked for Rabicki over there, way out there in Wisconsin somewhere. Actually, I don't know where Rabicki cheese is in Wisconsin, but I know that she lived there for a time and worked there. And she said they fired someone every day for little things like whistling while making pizzas. Sure, yeah, been, been there, been there, yeah. been there. Yeah, their health code violations, they, she said, take it very seriously. She said it was like working in a in a hospital lab environment. Well, yeah, uh, hey man, you know, that 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 the, they're printing cash over there on on the backs of cheese. Um yeah. so it does matter. Uh Candace mentioned something about ferrets to me the other day, and Candace just as a as a follow-up, it is illegal to use ferrets as hunting animals in the state of West Virginia. If you are out for a hunt, you may not employ a ferret to assist you. And by the way, that's just good old-fashioned common sense because there's nothing you could be hunting that won't smell that ferret coming a mile away. Ooh, well, they could look kind of like bait. Yeah, well, I'd be, be interested. Yeah. I might bring them along just to bait oh, oh, an see, that's exa- see, that, that, that shows how you... And in case anyone's wondering, I'm not a hunter because I don't even think that way. I'm like, oh, no, it'll scare <laughs> off any animal. You're right. That's that's probably where that law comes from. People were like, this ferret is musky as all get out. I wonder if a bobcat might want to take a bite of it. Rather take one hunting than have it as a pet. Uh, another friend I knew that had that little nippy ferret pet. Not uh, cool, yeah. man. Yeah, uh, my, my brother Dave in college, he ended up, I, I went to his apartment one day and there was not one but two ferrets living oh, there. And I no. said, dude. What are you doing? I mean, if I, if you light a match, this place is going to explode. <laughs> this is the same brother who came to visit me once in Nashville. He lives in Knoxville, and it's he's a he's a middle school science teacher, and he's great at it. And I, to this day, hell, I went to Nashville two weeks ago, and I had an appointment, and the girl that checked me in said, "I know your brother Dave. He taught me science in eighth grade. He's my favorite teacher I've ever had. How cool is that?" Mm. So I have met people. Students have come to like Black Crow shows over the years and seen me in other places and said, "Your brother is my favorite teacher ever." So he's great at that. And it's awesome. But he's still the same knucklehead who had a pet opossum for a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Those things have rabies. Be careful. Uh, he yeah. had a pet opossum named Penobscot, and he had that thing in his car once when he stopped by the house in Nashville. I was like, you're you're not only a man who has a pet opossum, but you're traveling with it? What on earth? But, hey, science teachers, you know, it's a rare breed. Right. Was he able to... Uh... Uh, cohabitate with another person? Did he have a, a, a woman or oh, a man? Oh, he's been happily married for, okay. for 31 years uh, right. in a couple of months. Yeah. yeah they're Someone doing great. for everyone. Not opossum is chick bait. That, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Hey, by yeah. the way, the opossums are your friends. Let me tell yeah. you something, man. Just Google all the good that opossums do uh, in the world, and, and we'd, we'd look at them all a, a whole lot differently. If, if, they, if, uh, if opossums, if they looked like bunny rabbits but yeah. did the same things they do they would be they'd be the state they'd be the national animal we'd get rid of the turkey we'd get rid of the bald eagle we'd get rid of all the things that we love and we'd say man put that possum on the flag those yeah. things are awesome evolution did them no favors the beady eyes the pointy no. nose you know the little claws no i love this uh this state law headline immediately it sounds very inviting in new mexico idiots can't vote 
Well, it was repealed in 2016, unfortunately, because it was discriminatory language. They were referring to mentally disabled people. Oh, good It wasn't wasn't repealed. I know right now it takes all the fun out of it. But initially, when you just idiots can't vote, I don't know how you enforce that. But I like the concept. Nebraska, if you're in love and you want to lock it down and get married, you may not do so if you or your spouse-to-be have an STD. (laughs) What? Well, I mean, that's like, what do they say? Like uh, half the population, 40% or something like that. The last time we pulled up one of these uh, surveys uh, have herp. You know, I'm just saying that's uh, herp. It's yeah, at the, the herp. The herp. It's the out herb. there, the scarlet letter. So they can't get married? <laughs> you, the, A marriage qualification code in the Nebraska state legislature, it prohibits residents with sexually transmitted <laughs> diseases from marrying. That's now, messed up. Now, that doesn't, it's not your sexual history. It's not if you've never had one before, but I guess if you apply for a marriage license, you're, you're, take, you're being tested because they will not allow you to marry if you are currently carrying an STD. But to your point, Zepp, I don't know what they're going to do about her because once you have that, you have it yeah that's 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 a lifelong sentence right there here's a and by the way and by the way maybe that goes a long way towards explaining why that corn husker football program's fallen off the map over the last 20 years (laughs) maybe they started enforcing that law and you know things change yeah it really kills the recruiting class doesn't it Mm -hmm. uh do you have oh geez well Thanks. You're off to Ohio State then, I guess. Uh, This one in New Hampshire should send a cold shiver down any man's spine. Pregnant women can technically commit murder in the state of New Hampshire. Well, until 2017 when they repealed that one. Wait a minute. There there were, if you were pregnant and you killed someone, you were treated differently in a court of law? Yeah, pregnant women. They've got those hormones raging, you know. Things are uh, oh things are God. going a little wacky and wild, and they, they would take that into consideration if they brutally murdered their husband or someone, oh. I guess. You know, like, yeah, she has an excuse. She's pregnant. Oh, okay. Well, you know, how about some bed rest for you, you know? Jeez, I, I, I can't I can't decide if if who wrote that law. Was it men or women? It, I can see a strong case for either. <laughs> I wonder right. if mine's on this. Not mine, but... Well, <laughs> Hold on. Not mine. There's one that I got if a bone what? to pick with. This, okay. uh, in Montana, it's illegal for married women to go fishing alone on Sundays, and it's illegal for unmarried women to fish alone at all. Well, for their own good. That, um, is that, <laughs> hang, hang on. Is that uh, still on the books? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I just, what, what does that mean? I, I, I think you know. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, married women um, uninterested in going fishing on Sunday. That's how they get rid of their husbands, so they can have some fun and some peace and quiet and get together. You go fit. Maybe it was women that put that on the books. Now, uh, get, it, it should be stated that a lot of these laws are still on the books, but they're clearly not being enforced. Like this one from the Uncommonwealth of Kentucky, as we call it, in the Bluegrass State. Technically a commonwealth. Uh, since 1942, there has been a law in the books that prohibits the use of reptiles in religious services. Clearly not being enforced because you can still find a snake handling church in eastern Kentucky in Appalachia. And in fact, go to the Kentucky Derby sometime. And on Saturday morning outside Churchill Downs on Central Avenue in Louisville, Kentucky, all manner of humanity assembles outside the horse track to just get stuff off their chest. It's like 
It's like that speaker's corner in Hyde Park. There's just people standing on literal soapboxes mm-hmm. just letting you know what's wrong with the world. It's like a freak show outside the Kentucky Derby. It's one of the greatest. It's it's Kentucky's own Mardi Gras, and in the middle of it, there's a bunch of horses racing around a track. But otherwise, it's just drunken <laughs> debauchery for a whole oh. weekend. And oh. outside the track... You have uh, you've got a lot of religious groups. They pull up in like Partridge Family looking buses. Um, the eyes are kind of far apart from each other, and they're telling you the world's going to end. They're giving you the day on August first. It the rapture will happen. You know, it's those guys with the old fashioned PA systems, and you will see the occasional snake in a box, like just Aww. off to the side, like just in case we need it. We got a little rattler over here, and I <laughs> and you walk by that, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. And then right next to them, it's like a there's a drag show, and then right next to them, there's like a, a guy selling homemade knives, and then right. Right beyond that, it's 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 everything you've ever seen, all in one like you know quarter mile stretch of road leading the track. It's unbelievable. I mean, screw Vegas. Let's go to the you know, to I, the Derby. Seriously. Trust me, the Kentucky Derby is worth is more than worth uh, oh. attending. And then and then not to mention, if it's a rainy weekend, you want to be nowhere near the infield. Just a fun tip from a friend. Right. Don't go near the infield of that track <laughs> if it's muddy or has been raining within a few days because it, it turns into – it's Woodstock all over again. The mud oh. bog in the middle of that track is unlike anything you could ever imagine. An sounds absolute like has, nightmare. Sounds like it has potential, and I want to see what hat Candace would wear. You know she's going to go all out on the derby hat. It's going to be something wild. Oh, listen, if we can, if we can somehow f- finagle the KQ Morning Show down to the derby – uh, the seersucker suits and the dresses and the hats, it's on me. I'll, I'll, I'll outfit everybody. <laughs> there's, a, there's a spot downtown Louisville. We'll, we'll order ahead. We'll send them our measurements. We will, oh, we'll make it happen, people. We'll get ourselves a hot brown. Anybody know what a hot brown is? The state, I, the state sandwich of Kentucky. I'll tell you what yeah, the urban dictionary says. Good. It is, no, 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 no. Watch right. yourself. Hey, no, I know. hey, this is important. Okay. Right. Uh, Open face turkey sandwich with ch- hot cheese sauce poured all over it. It's Man. crazy. What? Yeah, I no, you can, you can, now. you can hurt yourself with a hot brown. Make no mistake. You know what you're not going to get in Kansas? What's that? No, no ice cream on cherry pie. Well, I guess this day. At one point, it was illegal in the state to top a slice of cherry pie with a scoop of ice cream. According to the Kansas Secretary of State, unclear how the law originated or where it's still technically, why it's still technically on the books. Uh, fortunately for dessert lovers, it's not enforced. How did that one get through the state legislature and then signed by the governor? No ice cream on cherry. What the hell happened in Kansas with ice cream on cherry pie? Uh, was this, is this pre or post warrant? <laughs> I'm curious. When did that actually go in the books? Because that guy, Janie Lane, he had some pull. Yeah, he did have some pull. Uh, my favorite uh, rational law or odd law in Minnesota, bingo only allowed two days a week in nursing homes. You've got to keep an eye on the blood pressure. You know what I mean? You've got, <laughs> you've got to keep everybody calm. Good point. Good point. Well, uh, around here, we spike our blood pressure with game shows. And right now on the Maple Grove, lock and save, talk and text line, colors 9 and 2, 651-989-ROCK. Get to play Lyrics or Lies for sweet tickets. For sweet tickets to see the Wild, the Capitals, March 19th at the Excel Energy Center. Tickets furnished by the Minnesota Wild, 651-989-ROCK. Two callers, good luck, and hang tight. It's the KQ Morning Show.
92KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. That was ACDC's Highway to Hell. A few years ago, there was tribute paid to the great Bon Scott. A massive 2020 event called the Highway to Hell. They took a 10-kilometer, which is six-mile section of something called the Canning Highway in Australia, which is a road that Bon Scott referenced in the lyrics to that song. They called it the world's longest stage, a six-mile series of cover bands set up on flatbed trucks. Uh, 150,000 people showed up. Um, It was just basically a day-long celebration of Bon Scott, raised some money for some charities along the way. In that part of the world, that man is still very much front of mind. And, And an amazing thing, if you've ever seen the footage of a six-mile tribute to Bon Scott. It's pretty intense. That's pretty cool. Six miles? That's a long mic cord. That's a really it's long mic cord. Easy. When they say the world's long, long, longest stage, they're not kidding. That's like the that's like the pizza that's the size of a football field. You know, it's, it's a great idea until you get into it. And then you're like, how the hell did we think this made sense? Uh, we, speaking of making sense... We love to give things away. We've got a couple of hockey tickets. The Wild are hosting the Washington Capitals on March 19th, and we would love to see you uh, in the suite watching that game. And right now it's time to play a little something we call, Tony, I believe it's Lyrics or Lies. Yep, new game, mister. Words and music make a song. Words and music. Liar! Lies or lies! <laughs> <laughs> Yep, we're going to read <laughs> lyrics, and our listeners simply have to pick if they were actually real lyrics or if they're made up. And today's featured artist is Journey. Mm. Oh, wow. This is fantastic. All right, so, uh, Candace, we have two people on deck waiting to play. Who's our first contestant? Bill from White Bear Lake. Bill, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? All is well over here. Are you ready to play Lyrics or Lies and maybe win some hockey tickets? I am ready. All right, Tony. Take it away. All right, Bill. Now remember, these are lyrics from the band Journey, or they're made up. So, lyric or lie. How, your how, many, how many cracks does each contestant get? Each one gets uh, five quality cracks. All right, five quality <laughs> cracks. Let's do it. All right, number one. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. He took the midnight train going anywhere. Lyric. boy, that yes, is journey. Don't stop believing. Indeed. Believin'. Number two. Yeah, you know when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. That's not journey. That's a lie. That's correct. Bam. It's George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Number three. One and one and one is three. Got to be good looking because he's so hard to see. I don't think that one's journey either. That's a lie. Correct. Bill going three for three out of the gate. Beatles come together. Took some thought there though. I could see smoke coming out of your ears. <laughs> just you just got to put your put the Steve Perry voice to that. Mm-hmm. Got to be good. You know, it, it doesn't sound right. That sounds more like a parrot. Well, you know, just first time I've ever tried to crack nice. a Perry. Give me a minute. All right, number four. She loves to move. She loves to groove. She loves the loving things. Lyric. Correct. Journeys any way you want it. Wow. And Candace's motto. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your last one. Bill could run the table with this last answer. Uh-huh. All right. Hang on. You ready? 
Here we go. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. That's not Journey. You're right. It's Wang Chung, of wow. course. Wow. Nice job. Very well played, Bill. You're gonna. You're, you, you've already. You've already done more. You're like a Navy guy. You've done more by 9 a.m. than most people have done all day. You went five <laughs> for five. Congratulations. Sit tight. Caller number two, Candace. Who are we now having the pleasure of hanging out with? Donna from Maplewood. Good morning, Donna. How you feeling? I'm feeling great, and I'm actually from White Bear originally and taught there for 36 years, so it's Bill and I from White Bear against each other. Oh, that's fantastic. 36 years. You were a teacher, you said? Yes, I was. Well, bless you, dear. I I have nothing but the ultimate respect for that profession. Thank you, and I listened to KQ since the very beginning, and you are phenomenal. Oh well, like well then, well then, thank you again very much. I I will take a teacher's opinion over just about anybody's, so that means a lot. Thank you sincerely. You're welcome. Are you ready to play lyrics <laughs> or lies? Oh yes, I am. Fair enough, Tony. Donna is a woman of fine taste and sophistication. Clearly, discernment is her middle name. All right, Donna. Here's your first one. It's been a mystery, and still they try to see why something good can hurt so bad. That would be Journey. Yes, Donna. Who's crying now? Man. Number two. When are you going to come down? When are you going to land? I should have stayed on the farm. I should have listened to my old man. That is not Journey. That would be Rocket Man. Well, not Rocket Man. It's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh, well, I have the right artist. Yeah. The Rocket Man. Go ahead. We'll say it's the Rocket Man. That works. Important thing. It's not Journey. Right. Number three. Who can turn the world on with her smile? Who can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile? That would not be Journey. That's Cor- not. What do you think it is? Well, that'd be Mary Taylor Moore. Yes, Donna. Wow. So proud. Congratulations. Three for three. We. This is a hell of a Friday morning right here. Uh-huh. It's a white bear fight. It, <laughs> you know it. Go Bears. Yeah. <laughs> Go Bears. Go Bears. Donna number yeah, four. Lost. They lost in regionals at hockey. That's too bad. Oh okay. damn it! <laughs> well, let's pick shame. up. Let's pick up the pieces. <laughs> Those poor kids. They, I know they played their hearts out. All right, Donna. Two more to go. Number four. Everybody go hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. See if your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. <laughs> Donna. No, not journey. Correct. <laughs> Sugar Hill Did Gang. You, I was going to say, man, Tony went Sugar Hill Gang on a Friday morning. That's changing the tone. Yeah, and hey, that one's tough, Tony. That was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Rapper's delight. All right. Four for five, Donna. One more, and we are going to sudden death overtime. This is exciting. Donna, someday love will find you. Break those chains that bind you. That would be Journey. Yes. Very man. nice, Donna. Oh. I tell you what, man. Journey has left a... a, 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 a serious shadow in White Bear Lake. I mean, there's a cultural mm-hmm. footprint from that band <laughs> that is they went, they went 10 for 10. Fantastic. Alright, looks like we get, have to have a tiebreaker. Okay. White Bear nose to nose. Uh, who's okay. going to go first? Will it, uh, Bill, I think Bill goes first. Okay. Here's your question for the both is. The tall pleated white hat that master chefs wear has how many folds? 
Wow. <laughs> wow. This is not a journey lyric. This is just an actual straight up question. Mm-hmm. Bill, what do you think? I'm going to say 13. Okay. Donna? Well, I'm going to say, wait, now do I get to be closer wins? Is that the deal? Just the, whoever's the deal. closer wins. Okay, I'll say 14. Wow. All right, Donna, the correct answer is 100. So, Whoa! Used to signify a chef's level of experience, like the number of ways he or she knew how to prepare eggs. How about that? Wow. Donna squeaking out the victory. 14 Woo-hoo! trumps 13 on the race to 100. Both, both of our contestants this morning deserve high praise. Congratulations to you both for going 5 for 5. Donna picks up the Minnesota Wild versus Capitals tickets. That's a that's a fun game right there. Mm-hmm. And it's my birthday that weekend. Oh. oh well, happy birthday ahead of time, and I hope you have a great time at the game. Thank you. That is, thank you. That's fantastic. Check it out, man. That was five very for five. Exciting. By the way, uh, I don't know what what that music is, that bed that you're playing underneath, but you dig it. I I it if in the proper setting. That could literally cause me to lose my mind in less than nine minutes. Okay, guess what I'm going to do this weekend? Calling you up at two a.m. Yeah, Steve. If, the, if yeah, if I if I if you played that while I slept, just loud enough to hear but not wake me up, I, I don't think I would ever. I think I would slip the surly bounds of sanity by morning. I think this could be your walk-up music. Oh man! Now batting. Left fielder, Steve, Steve, Gorman, Gorman. And that's the music pumping over the PA. That'd be pretty great. That'd be pretty great. If you are, hey, um, oh my gosh. Uh, thank you for turning that down, by the way. I mean, it's all it's all fun until someone literally starts to crack around the edges. I can bring it back. Till my till my eggs start to fry a little bit right there. Um, I, a quick question, Candace, mm-hmm. Tony, cruise ships. Ever been on one? Taking a cruise? Uh, no, no, not yet. W- would you? Is it something that appeals to you on any level? The, the endless buffet, yes. Okay. And what what about what about sea. what about any other element of being on a cruise ship with thousands of strangers? Is that a is that appeal, <laughs> Candace? Yeah or nay? Well, I went on one when I was little. Okay. And I got extremely sick. Of course I was you did. Brought down into the basement, <laughs> below deck, and injected with some strange shot. I mean, I was probably a kid, so I was probably dramatizing it, but it was like a. A purple liquid they injected with me with, and it, wh- yeah, it was. Got a shot. Hold on, yeah. hold on. I'm sorry. If that happened to me, that'd be the first story I tell anytime I meet a new person. <laughs> when you and I first spoke on the phone a few years ago, you should have said, Steve, real quick. When I was a kid, I was on a cruise ship and they injected me with purple liquid. Yeah, I was really seasick and sunburned. It was awful. And my parents like went out to Cosmo that day and had fun without me. And I like, like no, they came in islands. Excuse me. Oh and they brought me back a stupid T-shirt with the, some... Cayman Island cartoon character, and I was so mad. I can just see the parents uh, with with young, beautiful little sick Candace saying, "Look, we want to get off this boat. We got to get the island. You got anything like I don't know? You got like a purple liquid you can stick her with? Maybe anything you can do for us here? <laughs> what, what what was in that liquid? Did it work? Know. Did you feel better later? Yeah, it must be their secret stuff they got for seasickness. Her so. t-shirt said, I went to the Caymans and all I got was purple liquid. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. fantastic. Candace's yeah. dating profile says, I have motion sickness. Oh, I do. Lord help oh, us so. all. I, I mean, I'd be down. I, 
I think like yeah, the part of the motion of it kind of freaks me out. Right. But it'd be fun to be on a big party boat. Well, if well, yeah. then there's good news for you, Candace. A cruise line called MSC Cruises. That's one of the world's largest. I've never heard of it. I try not to know anything about cruises because they scare the bejesus out of me. They have a cruise now for 2025. You can sign up. It's thirteen thousand two hundred dollars per traveler. And if that sounds like a lot of money, hold your beer. You're going to go to 50 destinations in 21 countries over 116 nights. Now, that turns into about 120 bucks a day, which is Motel 6 rates at this point. Right. You can go 116 nights at, at on this ship, 57 days fully at sea, as in you're not even hitting a port that day. 116 nights total for about 120 bucks per. That is something an awful lot of people would be greatly attracted to. Again, just for the record, not this guy. I'm not. And to your point, Candace, I look at a cruise and I say, okay, 116 days. That's enough time to get to 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 obtain and recover from Legionnaire's disease, <laughs> hepatitis A, the flu some new variation of COVID and spending most of the time on top of all that, you're hung over every, at least every other morning. Uh -huh. No, thank you, sir. I, something about that is, is appealing. Just seeing all the different destinations. I'm really interested in the people who are getting condos on cruise ships and that's where they live. I've, I've heard of this uh, very thing and mm -hmm. I'm all for getting to an age where you downsize. You just like I don't need the lawn care. I don't need this. I need that. You know, the right. condo makes perfect sense to me. Uh -huh. The condo at sea, I just don't get it. I don't get motion sickness. I don't get seasick. That's not that's not an issue, yeah. but just I like the idea of just having a spur of the moment thought. Like I'm going to go to the grocery store. Right. I'm going right. to get yeah. in a vehicle and drive myself <laughs> to the grocery store. I'm going to take a walk that isn't, uh, you know, there's not any chance of me falling into the ocean on my stroll <laughs> in the morning. I don't know. I, I would just feel like I'm not about to say on any level that's like a jail sentence. It's not jail. Mm -hmm. But I would begin to feel pretty locked down uh, at sea 116 days. You're pretty no question restricted, about it. I guess. And there's pirates. The well, chance yeah. of pirates. Of course there's pirates. Sea I, that doesn't even need to be said. Between the pirates, between the sea monsters, between the Legionnaire's disease, it's not something I'm, I'm pursuing on any level at any time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of these rock cruises, bands you go out and you play at sea. And, uh, and I, I've never done that with any band I've been a part of. I have talked to people, and, and, and just like anything else, talk to the do the cruises, they're all of one or two minds. It's either a whole lot of fun or it's hell on earth. Mm -hmm. There's no in-between. Uh, because on the one hand, you're like, oh, it'd be kind of cool. You're at sea. You're, you're hanging out with fans every day. And then the exact same thing is you're hanging out with fans every day. It just depends <laughs> on your perspective on uh -huh. if you want to be talking to people who think they know you because they know your records while you're trying to get a tan. <laughs> <laughs> never, never something I, I found all that interesting. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, there's still a lot of people of our generation, you and me, Tony, anyway, uh, who look at a cruise ship and the first thing you think of is the love boat. Of course, Julie McCoy, your cruise director. Oh, 
Oh, my gosh. Uh, forever, my cruise director, Julie McCoy. You'd be amazed at what you can learn from watching television. And we're going to share with you some of the most mind-boggling moments in education that came thanks to the boob tube. Hang tight. 92 KQRS. Devani's, your local pizza and hot hoagie joint in the Twin Cities, has been family-owned since 1975. With 20 convenient locations, they proudly employ 900 Minnesotans. Whether it's team gatherings, family meals, work lunches, or just craving familiar comfort food, Devani's is your trusted go-to. If you're looking for delivery, takeout, or somewhere to dine in, they've got you covered. Do you have a large group to feed? They're the large order experts you can count on. Order online at Devani's.com. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. It's the KQ Morning Show, 92 KQRS. Steve Gorman, this is the KQ Morning Show. Led Zeppelin, Black Dog from Led Zeppelin 4. Uh, my wife and I will be celebrating our 29th anniversary this Sunday. Aw. Aw. Congratulations. 29 years. I first asked her to marry me before we were actually a couple. And what precipitated that was this comment. We were at a place called Frioleros having a burrito with a beer. And she said, oh, my first concert was Led Zeppelin in 1977. And I said, will you marry me? <laughs> and uh, and then a couple years later, suddenly we found ourselves actually in a serious relationship. And a couple years after that, we got married. Wow. It was all about cute. Zeppelin, baby. I just thought, man, I my first concert was Heart, uh, which is, you know, they were great in 1978. But in 77, when Zeppelin played in Birmingham, Alabama, 12-year-old Rosemary Priolo accompanied her older siblings to the concert, forever changing the trajectory of her life as a music fan. And uh, the last time Led Zeppelin played a concert in 2007 at London, the big O2 Arena event honoring Ahmet Erdogan, the man who gave them a career at Atlantic Records, that's the gig Jason Bonham played with. They released it as a concert film called Celebration Day. We were at that show. That was the first time and only time I ever saw an actual Led Zeppelin gig. And that song right there, Black Dog, that was third or fourth in the set. And that's when it really clicked. That's when you could tell the band was, okay, we're over the, I can't believe we're playing a Led Zeppelin gig with Jason. The first few songs were were fine, but they didn't have that groove. There wasn't grease being, you know, it didn't have that, oh my God, we are in the zone. And when they hit those verses on Black Dog, the instrumental sections, the, uh, right away I was like, oh, okay, they're all, they all got a sweat going. Mm -hmm. You could feel it. And it was awesome that's cool yeah. it was that, absolutely fantastic that whole album had that power in that field didn't it um i you know bet what which which album that of that live concert four oh, no no i was just thinking of four oh, i was just thinking of so oh, please you know. led zeppelin four is ridiculous groove the grease that that's an album of grease that is that is that is <laughs> yeah swampy as all get out man do you and your love have a song no okay <laughs> we got a ton of them there's a whole bunch. The first song we danced to as a married couple was Otis Redding's These Arms of Mine. Nice. Uh, but I wouldn't say that's our song necessarily. Um, 
But I mean, that's a good place to start. But yeah, there's a bunch. I think I think there's a bunch. Do you have a song, Tony? You and your your betrothed. Mm-hmm. Which is it? Uh, dream a little dream, specifically the Dean Martin version. Oh, that'll oh, work. Dino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Zach, song? Uh, do you have a song with your current marriage or or any other marriage I may be unaware of? Oh, you son of a bitch. I wonder if she's listening. Because we do, and we just talked about it not that long ago. Wow. And the entire time you're talking, I'm thinking, what is it? What is it? What is it? What it's is it? this. It? Oh, stop. <laughs> That's it. Oh That's God. it. Uh, can she... <laughs> oh, she's texting me now. Love you. Um, no, uh, yeah, I... God dang it, I'm that guy. I t- I've said it on this show before. I know Candace. Uh, moans a lot when I say things like, oh, geez. But I think the biggest reaction I got from her was uh, just two years ago when I uh, forgot Maria's birthday. And I mean, That's forgot, right. forgot, as in we spent the entire day together. And I thought she seems a little off. She seems a little distant. But, you know, that happens. <laughs> wow. We all have funks from time to time. <laughs> and I, it was a Sunday that year. And I woke up Monday morning, and I think it was about an hour into the show, and I just screamed it. I forgot Maria's birthday. And Candace is like, God, I just didn't think you could be a bigger loser. Wow. But I'm constantly surprising Candace. Candace, uh, Candace Wheeler is known for many things, but she also is the woman, uh, most specifically to me, most importantly, the woman who is responsible for the quote, I'd rather have the herp than a dumb husband. <laughs> Well, I mean, you tell me, husbands. You tell me. Am I, am I right? Am I right? That's a that's a T-shirt waiting to happen, with your big smiling face on it. It's almost redundant, isn't it? Dumb husband. Oh no, I'm just being hard on myself. No, no, it's it's. There's a lot to be said about that. Um, we we're, we're, you know, listen, we're we're all dumb at some points. We 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 can we can. T- Break apart and and drill down deep into all of the shortcomings of the American educational system, but thankfully there is television and TV is one of our greatest teachers. And and in fact, TV and radio and and this is not just me running shtick. Noam Chomsky, who's a known for a lot of things, he's a he's basically a, an intellectual. He's a linguist, a philosopher. A political activist, a social critic. He's a lot of things. He's a real, real smart guy. Noam Chomsky once said, uh, the problem in America, we're not dumb in America. We're brilliant. He goes, the education's all backwards. We we, we are still teaching kids in these out, outdated modes. He said, if you want to know how smart the average American is, turn on sports talk radio. And the, and the person interviewing him was like, thought it was a joke or a setup. Yeah. He goes, no, I'm serious. Turn on sports talk radio. The amount of information that people remember about that things they're passionate about. He goes, the average Celtics fan can walk you through statistics, uh, you know, stat lines and results. They know the referees' names for yeah. games they saw 30 years ago. They remember how much time was on the clock. He goes, Education is all about passion, and we've, we, we fail our students when we don't teach them what they're passionate about. You know, you have, you've, you've got proclivities or natural talents, but then there's also what do you care about? And as I've learned, I have two kids in college, and now that they're in their major courses, they're thrilled with life because they're actually just studying things that they have chosen to study. Right. All of this to say... Uh, television, which is uh, a lot of people have you know complained about TV for years. My kid stares at the TV all day. There's a lot of good that can come from television, uh, and 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 there's an entire uh, there's a litany of stories out there of great things that happened uh, because of television, such as in Staten Island, New York, a few years ago, a 13 year old student who happens to be autistic saved a classmate who was choking 
by using the Heimlich maneuver, the 13-year-old had learned how to do the Heimlich maneuver from an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Thank God. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, uh, Henry Winkler, when Happy Days was at its apex, he insisted that the Fonz have to start wearing glasses. He went to the producer and said, hey, man, if Fonzie wears glasses, kids out there won't feel like it's... It, they'll think it may be cool. I mean, he was aware of the fact that there was a you can you can affect some serious change mm -hmm. uh, with your audience. If you learned how to do the Heimlich maneuver from watching SpongeBob SquarePants, that you know, hey, that that sells itself. SpongeBob SquarePants also responsible for a great day in Black Crow's history on the bus in 2006, driving into the city of Toronto. And I won't go into the details of why everybody wanted to kill each other, but at some point, the TV of SpongeBob episode came on, and by this point, four of the guys in the band had kids, and all of a sudden, all was forgiven. We were all watching SpongeBob laughing together <laughs> about it and saying, like, yeah, I mean, I watched this with the kids, but I like it, even when they tune it out. Mm -hmm. And we had, a, we had a beautiful band moment because of SpongeBob. So don't think that an animated show about sponges living under the sea can't do a lot of good for society. <laughs> um, what about if you're already a smarty pants and you learn something from a television doctor? Say you're already a doctor and you learn something from a television doctor. It sounds incredible, but in an episode of house we all remember house right there oh, was a german I doctor house. i loved house too a german doctor able to diagnose a man with a severe heart failure after watching house the symptoms were almost identical to those of the patient on the show and the doctor uh, it clicked in his head and he went boop it's cobalt poisoning oh that old cobalt poisoning <laughs> what? right well, that, well, well now hang on it, he was actually watching house was he not h-a-u-s yeah. <laughs> house i'm just saying um wait that's true that's unbelievable to me like yeah you know uh I, I, and i love him going back to the university of heidelberg and telling his story and going well no uh, professor it wasn't from something i learned in your class actually i was watching the show house and there was a cobalt poisoning situation which i was able to capitalize on the symptoms of listed you know i can that's a fantastic reminder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who, who, who needs medical school? Just put on the house. Yeah, I, I often wondered when you watch those shows, because we've learned over the years when it comes to uh, crime dramas that a lot of that stuff doesn't apply in real life. You know, I was like, what? I, don't they have to be missing for 48 hours or mm -hmm. something like that? They're like, no, not in real life. As soon as you think someone's missing, you can call the police and tell them that you think they're missing, and they're not going to say, well, we don't start any investigations or help out for 48 hours. So, you know, we get that misinformation. But I guess on a house, you know, some uh, nerd on the writing team was doing his homework. Sure, sure. Maybe there, they had a doctor on the writing team, perhaps, I suppose. There's a lot. There there are many instances of people um, performing CPR successfully because they saw that on, on various TV shows. I learned as a child several very important things uh, from television. One is uh, if you go to Hawaii and someone says that little tiki thing is haunted, you got to trust them on that. The Brady Bunch, we saw Peter Brady get into a lot of trouble with that. Um, I also learned from watching the Brady Bunch, if you go to an amusement park because your dad has a business trip, make sure he keeps his hands on the blueprints at all times. Remember the Brady Bunch relay race through Kings Island where they had to get Mike Brady his blueprints for the big meeting? I'll never forget. Come on, man. I, I was watching that as a kid, and all I could think was like, there's, there's, that would never happen to my family. We're nowhere right. near as cool as the Brady's. The silver yeah. platter anniversary gift. 
Oh, what are you kidding? And the perfect excuse for getting out of any date or occasion was something suddenly came up. Something suddenly came up. I, the, my parents' silver anniversary, their 25th wedding anniversary, speaking of silver platter anniversary, for my parents' 25th anniversary, uh, the kids, we had a portrait made. A, a professional photographer took our portrait, the eight Gorman kids, and this photo, their, their anniversary was New Year's Eve. Okay, so this is New Year's Eve, 74 to 75. It's going to be their 25th anniversary. One of my much older siblings, because I was nine at the time, in like July of that year, I, I'm at home and my older sister Susan says, hey, honey, I need you to put on like your church clothes where you have to go out and do something today. And I looked at her like, what are you talking about? She goes, just just, just get dressed up, look nice. We've, we've got to do something for mom and dad's anniversary. And I'm like, okay. I mean, not even asking questions. We all leave the house. We're all in our, as we called them, church clothes. We go to a studio. Guy takes, he poses us in a bizarre 70s classic posing for eight <laughs> kids. Uh, at this point, we're eight, this is ages nine through 20, uh, 23 or 24. Uh, we all pose. We take some pictures. We go home. An hour after getting home, I'm already at the pool. I forgot all about it. I'm not even giving it a second thought. Five, six months later, on New Year's Eve, at my parents' silver anniversary party, we unveil the photo, and I literally went, oh, that's what that was for. I mean, I had no <laughs> idea. It is like it had never happened. And I remember staring at that picture thinking, oh, yeah, that was – and six months uh, previous at that time in my life, it felt like six years earlier. I was just mm -hmm. in awe of how we pulled off such a caper. And I did have a feeling of, this is like a Brady Bunch thing. This is like what we would do if we were as cool as the Brady Bunch. I really connected yeah. it in my head. Well, you were as cool. That's a great gift. It, it was a great gift. Um, some very questionable hairstyles. And uh, <laughs> there's two family photos, one with the parents were the 10 of us. And then a couple years later, there's one where it was just the eight kids. And they're both, they're both good for hours of uh, regaling Holy crap! Remember when this happened, and you know, just just oh. looking at the clothes and the hairs and those things, the oh. haircuts, it, uh, the memories. Who boy? Oh, remember they come flooding back. Fuzzy shirts we used to wear in the 1970s. Everything. What was it? Those fuzzy. They're just really fuzzy and soft. I'm mean, sure there was a, a a word for them as well. But mohair. Huh? Was it mohair? We yeah, weren't I, that cool. Yeah, no, I, well, yeah, exactly. It was we weren't right. rock stars. These we were, were wearing we were wearing striped slacks from Sears. Slacks. And, uh, yeah. You can see you can see a lot of Gorman photos where you're like, let's see, Jim's wearing those pants in this picture. Two years later, oh, Dave is wearing those pants. And two years later, looks like Doug has those Sears slacks <laughs> on. Yeah, nothing <laughs> but hand me downs, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Family photos. Uh, well, I think just about everybody I know right now seems to be somewhere with their toes in the sand on a beach somewhere. Uh, warm weather vacation. Uh, we've read before that Minnesota sends more people to warm weather vacations than any other state. And, well, obviously, duh, that makes sense. We're going to tell you about one warm weather vacation. It's a little extravagant, and it's pretty wild. Hang tight. It's the KQ Morning Show. 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. Ozzy Osbourne, Mama, I'm coming home. You know, Ozzy did announce he was no longer going to be touring. He said he might put on some special events. And now, of course, word getting out, Ozzy's going, well, hold on. I feel pretty good, actually. Uh, I didn't mean that really. Maybe. I, I'm just saying, until Ozzy is, uh, you know, uh, pushing daisies, I don't think the guy's coming off the road. The minute he feels like he can get some gigs done, he'll be getting some gigs done, and God bless him for that. We mentioned a little earlier in the show 
um, with the winter upon us and people, you know, the snowbirds have all been away for a while and there's people are still booking trips. Um, there, there's this amazing offer from a cruise line where you can go around the world. You pay 13 grand and you're at sea for 116 days. You know, it's under $120 a day, uh, you, you know, which is a, a, a phenomenal way to see the entire world. And you do see most of the world with this plan, the MSC Cruises. Uh, you know, not, not anybody's cup of tea around here, you know, as we discussed. But it reminded me of this story. It, when you picture, like, being at sea for, for a great deal of time, and Tony even referenced the fact that some people are buying condos on cruise ships and they retire at sea. They go away to live the rest of their lives at sea. Again, none of us thought that sounded like a way to go. But how about this? Have you heard the story of Stephen Rothstein? He's kind of famous in the world of aviation. Stephen Rothstein was a stockbroker from Chicago. And in 1981, he, along with many wealthy people at the time, purchased something American Airlines used to offer, which was a pass for life. American Airlines used to sell a lifetime first-class ticket. And in 1981, Rothstein paid $250,000 unlimited flights for the rest of his life in first class. He That's bought a amazing. companion seat for $150,000. So, for a total of four hundred grand, he and a partner, a companion, a guest, were flying unlimited first class for life. $250,000 back then. That's about eight hundred large now. <laughs> so, he was, you know, modern dollars, you're in for over a million. Would they get priority seating? Yes. You walk into you the airport up, and you say, in. I'm going somewhere. And they yeah. say, here you go. Always and, with first class, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're in first. And so, but he became famous because American Airlines in 2011 rescinded his pass, causing him to sue the airline, and he lost in court. They pulled his pass and his companion pass. They said, you are done. We're no longer giving you this. He was doing all kinds of bizarre things, but he was booking seats under the name Bag Rothstein, like for his luggage to sit next to him. He would book, <laughs> he would travel Stephen Rothstein Jr. Um, he would book speculative reservations. He was reserving flights that he was never planning to take. And it's it's when this story was happening, when the lawsuit was playing out, uh, you'd see little bits on the news about it. I have a buddy who knows Stephen Rothstein personally. A friend of mine knows this guy. And what my friend John told me was this guy for 30 years would wake up in Chicago and he would be, this was like a morning. He'd be reading the paper and he'd see an article about something in Providence, Rhode Island and go, oh, I had that amazing latte in Providence once, and he would just go to O'Hare and take the next flight to Providence and go get a cup of coffee and then turn right around and fly back to Chicago. He, amazing. He loved – he never got tired of travel. He loved the – he saw it as a very glamorous way to spend the time. He was bouncing around the world relentlessly, like never more than a few days between flights, and then he did get into trouble. He started – he would meet somebody, and in the first conversation be like – Oh, you've got to get to Miami, but you can't afford it? I, I can send you. I've got a companion pass. And he was reserving flights for people he barely knew. Just He was the Johnny Appleseed for American Airlines first-class tickets. What a great nice. guy. What a dream. Yeah, I mean, that's what he was doing with it. It's not like he was 
you know, trafficking fentanyl or something. He was just he was just helping people out with their flights. But American did finally say, hey, you've there was some language in the agreement uh, and they pulled it and he lost in court and he's been bounced. And I just always think about that. If you had a if you could fly anywhere you wanted tomorrow and every day in first class, if it was that easy, would you ever come home? I mean, would, how many countries would you go to? And here's another quick thing. Another dear friend of mine, my buddy Larry, is a senior-level attorney for Delta Airlines. And Larry, because of his 30 years plus with the company, he also has this through Delta Airlines for life. He and his wife can go to the airport. right? They could go to MSP right now and say, we need to go to Tokyo today. And they would say, okay, I'm going to connect it through L.A. They're in first class. If first class is sold out, someone gets bounced. They go anywhere they want for life first class at, a, at the drop of a hat god that's incredible try it, bouncing it, me try bouncing me well th- there class. is that there is that that's and and if, for whatever it's worth larry would never do that he's like yeah we never take the seats if you got to bounce somebody but the fact remains they could uh but here's the thing all of this leading to this when larry first got this command when he got this for life he was not yet married he could assign the companion pass a year at a time and he gave it to his sister for one year. She's a public school teacher. She took a year off and she went to over 80 countries and just lived on the road for like 10 months. Facebook groups were all these school teachers from around the world. She would get on there and say, I'm going to be in Manila. Does anyone have a guest room? And mm-hmm. right away, yes, nine people would chime in. She bounced around the world flying first class for, for 10 months, went to over 80 countries. That's, that is the ultimate golden ticket. I God, I would so do that. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, I, I I can't imagine how great that would be. First place you'd go, Candace. You got a first class ticket. You're going anywhere. Where do you go? Anywhere. Anywhere, baby. First class. Blaine. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, New Jersey. No, um, for sure, Italy. Yeah, Italy, Greece, okay. or Birmingham would be tight. I don't know. That'd be that'd be tight. Alabama yeah. or Birmingham, England. England. <laughs> real, real? What are you a fan of Indian food? What's going on in Birmingham? <laughs> well, that's where that's where Ozzy's happened. from. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, the birth of what we call Indian food is Birmingham, England. That's really? an English Indian uh, immigrants in England created what we think of as Indian cuisine in Birmingham. The so best. So am I you just saying find. it really Minnesota and Birmingham? <laughs> well, if you're over there, it's. But I only say I only pronounce it Birmingham just because my wife is from Birmingham, and there's a you know you have to d- oh. separate which one Got you're it. talking about because in our household there is a there's a Birmingham situation happening. Zep, where are you going first? Right now, walk to the airport. Go. Anywhere in the world, stay as long as you like. You're flying first class. No, stay as long as I like. Yeah. So why Salt not? Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. SLC. Fair enough. Because I don't know. It just popped into my head. Sounds like a nice place to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> they have mountains. There's slopes nearby. Yeah. Um I, I would I would go to New Zealand and to to speaking of slopes, I have skied in New Zealand in nineteen ninety two in the New Zealand Alps. The South, South Island of New Zealand has their own Alps. And, uh, and I skied there, and I found out just what a bad skier I was in New Zealand. <laughs> Way <laughs> in over my head. In New the, Zealand, I don't know. A little too steep and not enough tree. It was just o- wide open above the tree line, straight down the side of a mountain. Yeah. Uh, I spent more time on my back trying to slow <laughs> down than I did on my skis. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's where I'd go. That, that place is... Just astoundingly wow. beautiful. The, 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 everywhere I've been in New Zealand is like heaven on earth. 
My my biggest problem is I won't take a flight overseas any longer. I've, oh, I've no? done it. Yeah, no, I'm done with it. I don't like being on planes for a long time. But it's and- first class. Again, you're 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 getting mm-hmm. like you know, you're getting good food. The bed lays down. Yeah, you can sleep yeah, the whole way. Come on, man. Oh, I changed here's, my answer. Here's the problem. Sorry, I just was thinking about the length of time. Right. Really quick. I'd, I'd, I'd totally go to Japan. Really? Yeah, I mean, because that's like the longest flight ever, right? Or Australia, pretty close. Australia, yeah, Australia Sorry. is really long. There's, there is, a, there is a, I think they, there's like a Singapore to Newark now. I think that's the longest one available, 16 or 17 hours. Maybe there's one even longer. I, I, and I, when I'm looking at those long flights, I, I just do it by movies. It's like, oh, it's a nine hour flight. Okay, that's two movies, a good nap, and then a movie to wake up to. And, you know, I just base it on what am I going to watch? Yeah, you're not into it though, Zep, are you? Uh, no, I don't do first class either. I just can't sit there and watch all those people walk past me. I feel like an asshole. It's free. Come on. It's a, <laughs> we're spa- it's like, what, do you not even, oh, come on, if you win the Powerball, what, are you going to give it all to charity? Come on. No, I'm going to live large. I'm going to live huge. Uh, top but of but you're going to fly home. private then. You're not going to fly first class with me, Tony, if, and Candace. If I win the lottery, yeah. I'm not flying anywhere. I'm going uh, John Madden on y'all. You're going to go okay. choo-choo? <laughs> yeah, choo-choo sounds good to me. Fair nice enough. sleeping car, get a... Get myself one of those road vans. I might not even have a house. I, uh, yeah, no. But nothing to charity. Zero to charity. Okay, all right. A bunch of beggars. Tumbleweed Zepp over here. Guy guy doesn't want to fly to Japan with Candace. He has no interest in going to New Zealand with me. Tony, where, where did you come up with a place? Where are you going first? I I wouldn't stay there for unlimited time, but I've uh-huh. always wanted to go on an African safari. Oh, come on. Wouldn't that be great? Uh-huh. And wouldn't it be even greater if you arrived fully refreshed and rested from your first-class travel? Absolutely. On and that I'd bed. All the gear. Have you seen, like, the Emirates Airlines, what their first-class cabins are like? And it is a cabin. Mm, You're, like, like in your room. own little mini apartment in the <laughs> air. Uh, it's, it's, it's nuts. There was a... Uh, um, I remember hearing back in the 90s, Japan Airlines, if you flew first-class, they, they offered... Uh, as you would lean your seat back into a fold-out bed, a, a seven-foot-long flat bed, they did have a hot oil foot massage available to you to help oh you get God, to sleep. Jesus, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Look, come on, man. I, I, I never did. I never flew Japan Airlines. I've never received a hot oil foot massage at 30,000 yeah. feet. But I kid you not, if I were on that plane right now and someone offered, I'd be like, well, I guess I'm going to have to say yes. Sure, I'm here. <laughs> I have been on a plane, uh, a lot of business class travel internationally in my life. Not much first because there is a giant difference there. But I have I have seen adults in the pajamas that were provided to them by an airline. I've looked, oh, I've wow. seen people change into mm-hmm. like a sleep suit on an airline. And I'm like, oh, All right, what do you think we're, do you not think we're landing within the next three days? Like <laughs> it's only a 12 hour flight. What are you doing the pajama thing for? I think we're just on the precipice of Armageddon. I think it's, is that what it is? I think it's about time. I used to dress very comfortably before we'd go, when we'd go on tour, if a flight to Europe and definitely to Asia or Australia, I would think about what I was going to wear ahead of time. And it was because you want to be very comfortable. And oftentimes I would combine a set of clothing that was not only comfortable, but that I would never wear again. So it's like one less thing to put in the suitcase. Uh-huh. The first hotel I got to, I would just leave that change of clothes right there. I've done that too. Yeah, it's yeah. great. You're, you feel like a genius when you're like, I'm going to travel with four pairs of pants, but only three are going <laughs> to do the whole tour. This is brilliant. Wear a kimono. That's comfy. Man, 
I really, I really missed out on the whole kimono trip. <laughs> I, I have regrets. I'll be honest with you. Look good with a kimono and a, and, and the man bun. Put a sword on my side. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, I can see it. Sort of a whole Tom Cruise and that. What did he do? The last, the last samurai, samurai. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see it. You could pull that off. I could rock it. The tall yeah. samurai. <laughs> well, we have a guest. We're going to move along. Lou Raguse, an award-winning reporter for Carrie Levin, talking about his true crime book, Vanished in Vermilion. That's coming at 9 o'clock. Hang tight. 92 KQRS. Devani's, your local pizza and hot hoagie joint in the Twin Cities, has been family-owned since 1975. With 20 convenient locations, they proudly employ 900 Minnesotans. Whether it's team gatherings, family meals, work lunches, or just craving familiar comfort food, Devani's is your trust. Trusted go-to. If you're looking for delivery, takeout, or somewhere to dine in, they've got you covered. Do you have a large group to feed? They're the large order experts you can count on. Order online at thebonnies.com. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. It's the KQ Morning Show, 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. It is Friday, March the 3rd. That is Queen, of course, with somebody to love. Freddie Mercury trying to find somebody to love. And here with the worst segue of the day, speaking of trying to find somebody, see what I did there? Uh, we are in an <laughs> era of time. Magical. True crime has taken over the world. It's certainly taken over the Gorman household. And uh, with the Alec Murdoch sentencing happening as we speak after he was found guilty yesterday of uh, double murders, both his wife and child, that's one of the most riveting cases uh, in recent history. True crime is everywhere. Uh, and right now in the studio joining us, Lou Raguse from Care 11, a man you've probably seen reporting on criminal activities in the Twin Cities for quite a while. Lou has a new book called Vanished in Vermilion. This is a true crime story. I'm sure at times a heartbreaking story. Lou, welcome to the show, first and foremost. Oh, thanks for having me, Steve. So let's just get the bullet points. 1971, two high school juniors in Vermilion, South Dakota, basically vanish off the face of the earth. Yeah, they are high school juniors on their way to the end of the year party, which is a keg party being thrown by the seniors. Okay. These are not girls that generally would go to parties, so it was unusual for them, but they wanted to branch out a little bit. Sure. They can't find it. It's out in the country at a gravel pit, a remote area in a remote part of the state, uh -huh. and they just never make it there. Mm. Never seen again. And and no obvious conclusions for the police to come to. There's not a trail of evidence. There's none of that kind of stuff. If this happened right now, you can imagine Twitter lights up. People are you know everybody's trying to solve the case. The, what the was, police have to ask people not to help because they, there's too much assistance nowadays. I mean that's that's how things have changed. And so, but in 1971, what how, what happens? How long until they're even reported missing? And what do the police do? Well, the sheriff insists that they must have run away. Go home and stop worrying. They'll be home. Oh boy, this was they ran away. Teens do this. This happens all the time. Yep. And that was the most frustrating thing in the world to these parents. Okay, now this turns into quite the cold case. Decades before there's any sort of resolution in your book, again, Vanished in Vermilion, you dig into this case. Uh, and and first things first, my first thought is. Did you have the support and involvement of the families? 
Yeah, that was very important to me uh, to be able to to, to, di- to dig into it this far. Um, I had the support of both victim families mm-hmm. as well as the suspect family. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I, I guess I guess there's plenty of reasons for both to want to get this story told, but that's got to be an incredibly delicate process. Just just getting started, you got to really watch your step. I imagine. Yeah, and it, to have the support because you know I'm talking to friends of theirs from the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, classmates and so forth, and they want to make sure that they're not overstepping their bounds as well. Sure, sure. So th- th- they were from the class of 72, so these, so their friends that you spoke with, they were talking about people in their, what, late 60s, early 70s or something? I'm just off yeah, the top yep, of my head, something mid, like that. Mid to late 60s, yep. And so, but, but I'm sure this is still very fresh in all their minds. This is something that in a community like that, especially outside of a town like Vermilion, this must have been a... This is like a, a an alien sighting almost. I right. mean, everyone probably has very clear memories of this. It's a defining moment in all of their right, lives right. because they, you know, this happened in Memorial Day weekend, and then they all, you know, go their own way for the summer. And back then, there's not social media connecting yeah, each other. So sure. when school starts to get in the fall, it's kind of like, wait a second, Pam and Sherry never came back, and then oh, they have to yeah. continue their senior year without them. And then all the the things that come up like prom, graduation, and so forth, that's when they really notice, like, oh, my gosh, here we are, and they're still not back. I can totally imagine, like, yeah, for everybody's senior year and then for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, a defining moment. Um, The sheriff's first thought was, these girls just ran away, they'll be back. I'm sure there were plenty of other bizarre, looking back in hindsight, theories that people had that didn't sound like the police were really, this was not a front-of-mind priority for them initially. No, not at all. And when you say alien sighting, that there were people that actually wondered: were these pe- were these sucked up to space by an alien? <laughs> oh, geez. Did they run off and join a cult? Were they abducted by a motorcycle gang? Did they um, just run away on their own to California to start a more exciting life? Wow. Yeah, early seventies. I could see all of those things making sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either an offshoot of the Manson family and the you know his hit South Dakota or. Um, yeah, the cult scene, that was, that was, I mean, hell, there was after school movies I'd see in those days and there was always concern about cults and, you know, everybody's got a, what's that pentagram in the woods? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's a pretty amazing thing. So this case sat essentially for how long was it sort of just, oh, well, until somebody kind of picked up the, uh, the trail again. So 20 full years of basically nothing happening before a newspaper reporter revives it in a comprehensive article that has information that was never reported before such as where they were last seen and and the people that they talked to last and that revived interest throughout the community and with police but then it took another 15 years after that or 14 years after that when south dakota formed a cold case unit and they chose this as the first case they wanted to solve there there was wait so what year did that cold case unit not till 2004 the, there was just no one looking at cold cases until then. Not in the same way that they do now. I yeah. mean, there would be like a detective that would flip through the file and then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe drive a couple spots that he wanted to check out. But, right. You know, really no hard work being put into it, no forensic work. So, okay, uh, Lou Ragusa is in the studio with us. His new book, Vanished in Vermilion, about a, uh, I'm sure, a very famous case in that part of South Dakota. Two girls disappeared in 1971 on their way to a party. So for 20 years... These families got basically no support. No. And the, one of the saddest parts is the father of Pam Jackson, who drove all the country roads, you know, checking ditches, looking for them. Oh. He was never told where they were last seen until this reporter in oh, 1991. Come on. Until 1991. Wow. How is when that this possible? Report, yeah, it, it's just 
there was so little done at the be- at the very beginning. And the sheriff, and it, it was they only interviewed two out of the three boys that saw them last. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much in here that that will frustrate you in the beginning part of the book before it starts to get wild. Mm. I- I was just going to say, hey, Lou, is there, uh, having grown up in South Dakota and don't know anything about this, can't wait to dive into the book, but there was a mysterious murder around our small town when I was a kid. And, and do you at all get into the book? Because the what I remember from that was the paranoia in the town because it was unsolved in that area where most people, now Vermillion's a little bit bigger, most people know um, each other, mm-hmm. and, but someone... Something happened to these girls, and I just think of the town, the paranoia that must have taken over that community. And, and I think part of that, the, yeah, absolutely paranoia, and then as a coping me- mechanism, I think a lot of people gravitate to the, well, maybe they ran away, because that's yeah. the safe thing. That doesn't affect sure. them, right? Right. And so that may have played into that as well. And not to mention stereotyping these two girls. One was from a very conservative farm family. The other one had a very rough home life. Uh, with an abusive father that left and a mother that was an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. and so they were stereotyped as people who might want to break away from the lives that they had. Uh, you know, the conservative family of farming community, I would assume, on, or, or certainly farming adjacent, um, probably with older parents, there's an inherent respect for authority and law enforcement. They probably weren't comfortable to go to the cops and go, hey, wake up. You know, they, they weren't beating down doors. They were probably more, again, I hate to assume too much because I haven't read the book, but mm-hmm. is there a, there's got to be a cultural aspect to this as well where they're like, well, the police say they're doing all they can. You're absolutely right. And because of that, it took them two months before Pam's mom wrote a letter to the state attorney general to list all the reasons why she doesn't think these girls ran away and asking for more help. Oh, and then that backfired mm-hmm. because the state attorney general assigned a, a state agent, a DCI agent, to go and investigate. That made the sheriff mad that the family went over his head. And then he said, I'm done. Well, jeez, oh, <laughs> pride. Uh, yeah, it's awful. Um, it, it is amazing to think this is only 50 some odd years ago, but but a, a, a million years ago in terms of how connected every aspect of law enforcement now is Mm -hmm. i mean you're talking about two girls disappearing at a time when state to state there was no communication not even county hell not even county to county that's an that's an incredible thing to imagine what do you think generally speaking um oh and by the way uh is is the book in stores now already or when does it come out if you're looking online it's uh, available on amazon and barnes and noble and then with stores you better just call ahead because it's it's been a lot of them don't get it in until people are asking about it. okay vanished in vermilion is the story and this book i should say we're not gonna there's no spoiler alerts or, or there are no spoilers here but there is a resolution in the book. Yeah, and that's one thing that you can look forward to is that you will find out what happened to Pam and Sherry by the end of the book. And if you don't Oof. already know what happened, it will blow your mind. Wow. You know that makes a difference, Lou, when you because I'm really into true crime with my daughters. And like I said, we can't wait to dig into this one. Uh, it, but it's you sometimes get frustrated because there is no resolution. Yeah. So starting something you know that you're going to get to an end to, no matter what that resolution is, uh, provides you with, I, I don't know, just a whole different uh, way to take on this subject exactly. of this book. How yeah. many times you get toward the end of the Netflix series and you start to realize, oh no, we're not going to find out, are we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That those are those are rough. Um, this is a uh, a story that I, I'm sure there's certain elements of this that are very common for that time and and era. There's so many unresolved cases, um, but but 
flash forward 50 years to what you you guys are just discussing true crimes everywhere it's yeah. go to go to any podcast server look on any netflix uh you know stream blah 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 what do you attribute that to just you cover criminal you know as a tv reporter you've been in, involved in all kinds of crime ish you know things you look at the legal systems the court systems and this this seems like in the last 10 years this has become it's not as big as the NFL, but by God, culturally speaking, you can talk about true crime as much as you can talk about sports, it seems to me these days, with a stranger. I think with human nature, we're naturally drawn to mysteries and, and wanting to solve mysteries and get resolution. And at the same time, some of these cases are stranger than Hollywood screenwriters can well, make up. So yeah. when the truth is stranger than fiction, mm -hmm. then that it creates this whole market for it. Lou, I have a, a question for you. As an investigative reporter dealing with such disturbing content does it ever haunt your thoughts do you have to develop some form of emotional immunity i have a, a coping mechanism that i've worked on over the years and it, it just basically goes that i i let myself be emotional in the moment when it's happening mm -hmm. even if that means tearing up in a courtroom mm -hmm. you know uh giving a family a hug the kind of things that reporters generally try to be more stoic because you know being stoic means you're being unbiased but i don't right. think that's true i think being human you you still are unbiased when you're human you're feeling with the emotions in the room and then that carries over to my reporting because i can carry the emotion that's appropriate into right. the reporting and then at the end of the day i feel like it was cathartic and i can wash my hands and go home and be I, with my family and it wow. doesn't bother me that that makes perfect sense to me there's nothing that will throw a perfect formula off more than repression mm -hmm. um especially where emotions <laughs> and I think are that concerned. happens with jurors because they sit sure. there and they do have to be stone-faced yeah. and a lot of jurors in these cases these disturbing cases have a lot of trouble and and, and plus they're not asking for it they're it's not part of their job like me they're, they're thrown into it and having to listen and look at horrible evidence and so forth and you can see how they have a lot of trouble afterwards i was watching the the alec murdoch sentencing the case from south carolina mm -hmm. that just wrapped up yesterday evening very famous, the, the biggest case in recent memory nationwide. And the judge, I really appreciated the, what the judge said to the jury afterwards. You could tell he was like, you've been in here six weeks. I know this was not easy. And this is, you know, and, and when he was, when I was watching that, I thought, yeah, man, I mean, being a juror and you're just going about your business. And then all of a sudden you're looking at crime scene photos and you're taking on reams of evidence and, and days and weeks and months of testimony. It's a really tough gig. That said, when the jury yesterday, they came back in less than three hours. Yeah, I, I think everybody short, knew short. like, oh, well, they, there's no question what they're seeing here. Yes, if it's unanimous, for sure. Uh, so do you have you had, to your point about jurors, have you followed up with jurors six months, a year, two years later, and, and you do see it still weighs on people? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've done a lot of juror interviews okay. after they come yeah. back with the verdict. And, and, I th and I've noticed that those interviews in themselves are cathartic because yeah. maybe they don't talk about it with anyone else to that extent right and so i think that's helpful but yes definitely it's something that's bottled up um they put themselves in the viewpoint of the victim's family and you know it's just a lot that's going on there's one judge in particular in hennepin county that is so 
empathetic. His name is Jay Kwam, mm-hmm. and he just had a, a horrible case where this mother murdered her six-year-old son and put him in the trunk. You might have heard about I, that. We, I did hear about it. So yeah. he he's so empathetic to the jury, and it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. He even offers his cell phone number at the end of the case to them if they need to, to reach back out to Ooh, him, which wow. is that's above yeah. and beyond. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Lou Raguse uh, from Care 11. This book vanished in Vermilion. The story of uh, two girls that that just took a walk and didn't come back in 1971. There is a resolution in the book, uh, which I'm looking forward to reading, and I appreciate you not telling me what that is. <laughs> uh, this book is available wherever you get books. Uh, the easiest thing to do is get online. Uh, you grew up in this area? Wheaton, Minnesota. It's a small town on the western border of the state, and then I came to the Twin Cities to go to college at the U. Were you in abandoned high school? If so, what was it called? And if not, why not? <laughs> I, I was not very musically inclined. I played the French horn in the school band, though. Hey, man. That, that's a beautiful... Yeah. Come on, man. And I did get right. Pet Band Player of the Year as a senior. Yeah, it was well, kind of a joke you... award because oh, I was kind of a funny guy, but... Oh come on! The French horn is that. That's a that's a that's a very emotional instrument. Right. There's a lot of, you know, you you could you can you can put some tears on some faces with the proper French horn piece. Yep. Cheers, Lou. It's great to see you, man. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Vanished in Vermilion. Pick it up. Yes, looking forward to it. R a g u s e. Is that the spelling here? Going to yep. type that's that in right now. Outstanding. Well, I don't know where we go from there. Maybe lighten things up. How about a nice, light, funny story about a dolphin? Who doesn't love a dolphin? We don't have one of those stories. We have a story about a pink river dolphin, these terrifying monsters, and one woman's <laughs> encounter with a pink river dolphin. It almost sounds obscene, doesn't it? Hang tight. It's the KQ Morning Show. 92 KQRS. I'm Steve Gorman. This is the KQ Morning Show. That was the knack, and I guarantee you, when they were sitting in the studio listening to the mixed version of that, they all went, oh, hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can be sick of my Sharona if you want to be, but man, the vibe is absolutely unmistakable. We just had a great conversation uh, with uh, Lou Raguse from Care 11. He's got a great book out called Vanished in Vermilion. True crime has taken over the world, and he is written an amazing book about a long since cold case true crime update from today alec murdoch the guy in south carolina the ginger-haired mutton of evil i call him mutton of evil i just came up with that uh he has now been sentenced to consecutive life terms this man uh killed his wife and his son to try to cover up a bunch of financial malfeasance he's the fifth generation power broker from a rural county in south carolina that family has run roughshod over that community for over a century and it is all falling apart now thankfully because this guy is this is true evil this is you were born to power and wealth and you are just a master manipulator narcissist double murdering opioid addicted thief of 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 it's just an incredible story all of which to say he gone he yeah. ain't coming back he'll appeal and he'll be back in prison but he will spend the rest of he'll appeal he'll be back in court i should say anyway there's your true crime update mm. um Brian, I'm. I've got. I, I don't know if this is a euphemism, or if you actually are going to tell me a story. I, I just heard you say a pink river dolphin, and I thought I, I'm not up with the hip lingo. I'm imagining that either being a cocktail or a, a move you do on a on, at an adult party on a twister board. I don't know what what in the hell is a pink river dolphin, and what do we have? What does it have to do with the morning show? 
I might have to punch that into the Urban Dictionary later. There may be more than one meaning, but there is a, such a thing as a pink river dolphin. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, apparently they're not the sweet, lovable uh, flipper dolphins that we all, you know, have come to know and love. No, they're and, not. No. Oh, the you pink know river this. Dolphin? Okay. I know about dolphins. She doesn't yeah. like dolphins. Dirty things they do. Okay, okay, for, okay. Hold, hold that Spound, thought, Candace. Yeah. Hold that thought. Zepp, what happened with this Pink River Dolphin? There's a 28-year-old woman named Candace Wheeler battling. <laughs> Thank you, 28. Wow. 28-year-old woman named Candace Wheeler. This is in England, though. So, you know, with the time difference. About okay. Two, year, yeah. two life-threatening infections and needed 32 stitches after she was savaged by the Pink River Dolphin. Oh. Don't snicker. While swimming in a river in Santa Rosa de you. I believe this is in Mexico somewhere. She was swimming with a dolphin in the river before the attack. After the vicious mammal sank its teeth into her foot, screamed for help. Onlookers oh frantically trying to pull her out of the water. It took an agonizing 20 seconds for the dolphin to release its grip. They have those little, oh. you know, those little steely teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, allowed her to climb out of the water to safety. And uh, caught sight of her mauled foot then, yeah, and needed the 32 stitches. Uh, Their filthy animals ended up infecting her (laughs) as she recovers from the horrible experience. She still hopes to swim again someday. (laughs) I I, I don't recall ever hearing a story about a dolphin that wasn't saving the day, uh, Mm. uh, running off a great white shark, and then being really cute and squeaking to Mm -hmm. the delight of onlookers. I've Mm -mm. never heard Mm -mm. of a dolphin attack. They hang in packs like gangs. Yeah, gangs, and then they do... I just guys. I feel like weird saying it, but they're rapists. I mean, okay. that's just like oh, what they are. They oh, like yeah, they but... gang rape the female dolphins. Okay, that, I I yeah. feel weird it's hearing yeah, you say that. I know that. it sounds really bad. Right? So, Candace, what so you you from the moment we've we've mentioned Pink River dolphins, you've been emotionally charged. Have you had personal experience? Have you ever swam with a dolphin? Do yes. you know some? Yes. Well, I did um, when I was little and i don't remember i didn't know about this at the time so nothing happened everything's okay but i was in florida last year and i was like oh my god jessica that's a there's a dolphin over there like look how cool and she's like they're rapists and i was like oh wow Wow. and she told me all these crazy things about dolphins and i guess dolphins are messed up i swam with one in cancun did you one of those organized things yeah Yeah. you can swim with the dolphins it was magnificent i bet it was i've seen you did seem kind of sleazy (laughs) i've seen (laughs) i've seen dolphins popping out of the waves and stuff at various Uh beaches uh from a distance i've never been that close but um yeah i had no idea it's it's kind of like otters you know otters (laughs) are as cute as they get they look like little water puppies but an otter will 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 rip you apart they they, they've got claws and they've got teeth, and they will attack. Yeah. Google otter attack. Uh-oh. They're not right. playing around. Oh, they're so cute. Many, many, uh, many a good-natured human being has gone down and seen the river otter and been like, I just got to get up close, and then their face is ripped apart. Yeah. Yeah. I understand they make a nice jacket. And don't forget those dolphins have that prehensile penis. That just, mm-hmm. I think that makes them more evolved. That puts them into a different category than us. Maybe they've evolved into gang rape. Canvas. Uh, Maybe that's uh, okay. <laughs> sorry, back up for the dumb guy. Prehensile yeah. penis. Yeah, it's like a hand. It can swivel, grab, grope, yeah. much like yeah. the human hand. It's a, it's a grabber. The wiener's a grabber. Uh, Helps okay. the males navigate the. <laughs> Complex labyrinth-like reproductive tracts of the female dolphins. This, is, this is the first I've ever heard of any of this. So as far as I knew, dolphins were our friends, and they just had regular-looking junk. I, this is an incredibly educational segment for me. Yeah. You need to read some Douglas Adams. <laughs> so long and thanks for all the fish. It's the dolphins that are in charge of this planet. We're, we're, we're simply their minions somehow, or I don't know.
I don't know, man. I, 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 life, I, I, I really feel like my life was better six minutes ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. A few bad I didn't seeds. want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up, but it's just something that I've been reading about. If lately. I, if I, if I could go back in time, and and with that in mind, I don't know if you guys saw this. There is a scientist in England, and he is convinced that he can figure out how to enable time travel. And don't ask me if I would kill baby Hitler. Don't ask me if I would get some Powerball numbers. I think I would just go back to 930 and still think dolphins were cute and fun. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? I was just better then. Just a a full-on attack on dolphins, although Tony's trying to stick up for them. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's a wild animal, so I don't know too much about it. But, yeah, we're the flipper generation here, Candace. We were raised to think that they're (laughs) Mm -hmm. damn heroes. There's a few from Broken Homes. Yeah. attitude. Yeah. Probably something we did, you know, Probably. our boats out there trying to net them with the tuna and all that yeah. jazz. Yeah. That could be a part of it. Yeah, if you if you're if you're mostly known as something associated with tuna, like this is dolphin free tuna. Right. The dolphins are kind of like, "Hey man, don't bring us into this." <laughs> but we were just doing our own thing and now you're now you're judging yeah. each other's tuna <laughs> intake on whether we're a part of it or not. Get off our backs, yeah. man. Right. That's a good point. And by the way, Back to the breed, the uncomfortable breeding aspect of this that you brought up, Candace. Put four <laughs> billy goats in a pen with one female goat and see what happens. I don't know if goats would play that game. I think no. No, I mean, it's I nature. Don't know. It's, it's wild. They would take their time and take turns. <laughs> Romance her a little bit. Have right. lunch in between. Yeah. You know them better than I. <laughs> I, saw a, I, uh, I saw a pretty spectacular looking patch of weeds over there if you're interested. <laughs> nice. lady. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, a little later, we can uh, take a look at some of that cow's milk I see happening over in the barn. Uh-huh. Wash that down quite nicely. Uh, smooth talker. Speaking of washing it down, and listen, let's just change subjects entirely. Briefly, Gene Simmons puts ice cubes in his cereal, and I'm not happy about that. That's weird. Why, doesn't he refrigerate his milk? Just not cold enough for him. He likes really cold. Thank you. Just freeze the milk if it's that if it's yeah. that much of a problem. Fill your ice tray with milk and add those cubes to your morning cereal. <laughs> That's great. Or ice put it cubes all the way, in cereal. Yeah. Put the milk all the way in the back of the refrigerator. Of course, the new refrigerators don't do that anymore. But remember back in the old oh, days, yeah. Oh, yeah. whatever was in the back was yeah. coming out pretty frosty, he half could, frozen. Maybe he likes to water down the milk, to which I would say, well, then get skim milk. Like yeah. you, don't, you don't have to have whole milk with ice cubes. That's upsetting to me. Um, <laughs> it gets in the way of the cereal. Of all of the things Gene Simmons has done, does do, and will do that may be upsetting, this is at the top of the list now. <laughs> I want to know what kind of cereal he enjoys. Yeah, you really. Think Simmons. I, I, well, I, I mean, is it too obvious to say clearly he's got some Count Chocula stock? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would sound seem to me like he's a Count Chocula yeah, guy all the way. Frank all the and way Mary. Up. Blueberry. Yeah. Remember Rice the monster kitties. cereals? Oh, yeah. Everybody in their family had their own, right? No, of course, you guys were. You oh. guys had to double up on, on oh, those. But in my family, we had three kids, uh-huh. and there was the Booberry, there was the uh, Count Chocula, my brother, yeah. and then I was the Frankenberry. Yeah, dude, the cereal cereal wars of Severna mm-hmm. Park, Maryland at the Gorman household, the stuff of legend. And it wasn't so much mm. about um, which cereal you got, but it was we had so many boxes of cereal that we would we would barricade ourselves at the table. You would have like a wall of boxes to co- close yourself <laughs> in. Right. And it was really more about just getting enough of them so i needed like four cereal boxes mm-hmm. in a in a semicircle around me to to block my view of the rest of the table <laughs> 
and if and if an older brother came and grabbed one, you know, like I was like, no, I need those buckwheats. He's like, I'm actually going to eat them. You're just using it to have a this, fort at the table. Cereal fort. Have you ever thrown up cereal before? I've oh. thrown up pretty much anything at, yeah. at this stage, but yeah. Not fun. Did you re-eat it? No, I was uh, Just asking. 12 years old. <laughs> Is she an amphibian? And I stayed home from school, and I lied about being sick. I uh-huh. stayed home from school okay. lying, and I had a big, pretty much the whole box of cookie crisp. And oh, I yeah. And I threw it yeah. all up. Yeah. <laughs> and thus, uh, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy then, wasn't it? Yeah. I, uh, self-fulfilling I, act, I guess, not a prophecy. I didn't eat Raisin Bran for years because one time while enjoying a bowl of Raisin Bran, my brother dumped the whole sugar bowl into it and then said to me, you can't waste it, you have to eat it. Oh, and so said. I did, because it's wasteful, and somebody, some child in India would suffer if I wasted food. And it, and I, boy, I hurled that stuff up, and I didn't go near Raisin Bran for like ten years. Were you crying oh. with each spoonful? I was, yeah, I was. It was. It was my personal baton death march. It was my, my Raisin Bran death march to the end of that bowl. It was awful. Uh, oh man, the KQ Morning Show, ninety-two KQRS. Davani's, your local pizza and hot hoagie joint in the Twin Cities and family-owned since 1975. With 20 convenient locations, they proudly employ 900 Minnesotans. Delivery, takeout, or dine-in, they've got you covered. Order online at davani's.com.